Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to read just a, just a few verses and then I'll let you sit down. We're going to try to cover the whole chapter. Uh, but what we're going to see is in such detail that I'm not going to, it was really, really difficult to put in, especially the first part, the first point, because it's just, it's just one situation after another, after another, after another. You're going to see a, you're going to see a battle, if you will, from the king of the south and the king of the north, which represents the two different groups, the Ptolemies of Egypt and the Seleucids of Syria, uh, back and forth, back and forth, Israel right in the middle. And, and over and over, you're going to have a different one. They're going to conquer, then they're going to conquer, then they're going to conquer, then they're going to, and it's just back and forth. The whole first part of the chapter. And, uh, and you say, why would God put all that in there? Well, it is in, in such detail and so accurate. There is no questioning the authenticity and the power of God. Say amen. amen. And so, a matter of fact, matter of fact, it has been, it is so accurate. It is so precise in its prophetic uh, uh, revelation that people have discounted and said it can't be. No, no, Daniel can't be real. It can't be. It's got to be a fraud. And, and you know, I mean, you got you to gotta come up with some excuse if you don't want to live by the Bible. Amen. So let's read just a couple verses and then we'll pray. Daniel chapter 11 and verse number one. Also I, in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. This is now, if you don't, it's been a couple of weeks, so let me remind you. Uh, Daniel has been having a conversation with an angel. How many of y'all remember that from the last chapter? Okay, he has been revealing things to him. He has been encouraging him, uh, strengthening him. And helping him. So, really, verse one of chapter eleven is a continuation. Is a continuation of chapter number ten. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. All right. Now he says in verse two, and now will I show thee the? I will show thee the truth. Now we'll just stop right there, and I'll, we'll pray and let you sit down because everything else is going to be verse by verse commentary. Okay. Here we go. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lord, for your blessings, your mercy, your kindness. Uh, Lord, we, we are undeserving of everything that you have done for us, but we're not unappreciative. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you're going to reveal to us tonight. And God will praise you and thank you for all that you do. Lord, you're so worthy of our praise. We thank you. We glorify your name. Unlock your word to us tonight. And Lord, we'll praise you, thank you, give you all the glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's, let's, let's let all of those at Fairview know we're glad they're with us. Can we let them know we're glad they're with us? Yes, we love you guys out there. Thanks for joining in with us tonight. Uh, number one, number one, if you're taking notes and, and this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, we're, what we'll do is just go through each verse and some of the verses will be in tandem. Some we'll do together and some will be individual verses and just read the verse and then explain the verse. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. It, some people call it a running commentary through it. We'll, we'll read the verse, talk about the verse, read the verse, talk about the verse, read the verse, talk about the verse. But before we do that, uh, Brother Barnes, did they give you a map? Did they give you, can you put that map up here, if you will? Uh, 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 boy, that's blurry. Did they give you another one? Is that the only one you got? Okay, that's blurry too. 
All right, but it's good enough. It's good enough. Up here, up here. Yeah, that's pretty cool right there, isn't it? All right. Up here, you will see the, the, the kingdom of the Seleucids, or the, uh, this would be the kings of the north. north, right? Right in the middle, right in the middle is Israel, okay? Right in the middle is Israel. So when he says the king of the north or the king of the south, he's, he's in reference to Israel, the nation of Israel, the land of Israel. So if you go, if you go north, you're going here, the Seleucids. If you go south, you're going to the Ptolemies or basically Egypt and Syria. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. Now, over and over, over and over, you're going to hear the king of the north, the king of the south, the king of the north the king of the south. Now, it is not necessarily a reference to a single leader. It's talking about the leaders, the leaders, because you're going to see different ones, all right? In, in other words, when you, see the, when you see the first one that says, and the king of the south went against the king of the north, all right? A few verses later, you're going to hear the same phrase, the king of the south, but it's going to be a totally different king. Does that make sense? Amen. This means, yeah. This means no, does that make sense? Okay. So we're going to cover, we're going to cover several different Kings from Egypt and several different Kings from Syria. All right. So several different Kings from the North or South, several different Kings from, from the North, but there'll be, there'll be different ones, but it, it, it'll say the King. Now I'm going to give you their names and that's why I got to do it this way. Cause if I was to try to put all this on the papers you have, I got five pages. You only got one. Say amen. amen. So I'm probably going to do more reading tonight than, than, than normal. And, and so I need you to really pay close attention and you can write down whatever you want to write down. But this is what I want you to be looking for. Okay. This is what I want you to get out of this. If you will, I want you to see the accuracy. I want you to see the detail that God gives Daniel. You got to understand this was years and years and years and years and years before any of this took place, but yet God was so precise. He was so detailed in how he gave this to Daniel that there's no question whatsoever. God is alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. Somebody say amen. Now let's, let's begin. Daniel chapter 11 and verse number two. And now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia. And the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia or Greece. Okay. Now let's describe these. These are four different kings, right? In this, in the Persian sphere, after Cyrus, first is Cambyses. Cambyses, C-A-M-B-Y-S-E-S, Cambyses, all right? Then the second king was Pseudo-Smyrtus, Pseudo-Smyrtus. The third would be Darius the first, Hyst- <laughs> I practiced this, y'all, I really did. Hystaspus, Hystaspus. It's funny because Dustin came in the office and I've got one of those pronounced things. You know, you type in the name and it tells you how to pronounce it. And he was making fun of me for trying to be good for y'all. All right. But Histaspus, say that with me. Yeah. Good luck. Amen. Now the fourth king, the fourth king was, was described in a little more detail than the first three, right? He was richer. 
He was more powerful according to the, the, the word, his strength through his riches, and he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. And he, this is Xerxes. Say that with me. He is called, Xerxes the first is called Ahasuerus in Esther. If y'all remember reading in the book of Esther, this is who it's talking about. This is who it's talking about, this fourth king, okay? Now, now after, after the kings listed after Xerxes are not included, probably, probably because of Xerxes' failed military campaign against the Greeks, and that's in 481 to 471 or 479 B.C., sounded this beginning of the end for Persia. And Persia finally fell to in, in 331 BC to Alexander the Great, right? That brings us to verse number two. And a mighty king, a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. Now, who is that? I just said it. Alexander the Great, right? This is the mighty king. After these, after these Persian kings, well, another one's going to step up and his name is Alexander the Great. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail about this because we have so far in the, in the other chapters we have covered. But we know after Alexander the Great, what does it say? He's going to die and he's not going to leave any children. So they're going to leave it to his four generals, right? This is in verse three and four. A mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the what? Four. Four winds of heaven. We know these are the four generals, right? Four winds of heaven and not to his posterity. In other words, it wasn't his children or grandchildren. He didn't leave it to his family. It was his four generals. Not according to his dominion, which he ruled for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others beside those. Now, if I've given it in your other notes, I've given it in your other notes, but if you're new tonight and you want to know who those four generals are, first is Cassander, Cassander, Ptolemy, Antigonus, and Seleucus. Now, two of those are going to sound familiar, especially for what we're talking about tonight. Two of those generals, uh, Ptolemy and Seleucus, if we go back to the map, the Ptolemies were there in Egypt. That was the king of the south. And, and Seleucus would be the northern king, right? All right. Is everybody with me? Everybody with me? And stuck right in the middle is the, the land of Israel. And so what we're going to see from this point on, what we're going to see from this point on, you're going to see a back and forth, a back and forth, a back and forth, almost like the Hatfields and McCoys. These are going to win a little bit. Then the, the king of the south is going to win a little bit. And it's just back and forth, back and forth with Israel right caught smack dab in the middle of it. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. Now let's keep reading. <clears throat> and the king of the south, the king of the south shall be strong and one of his princes, now we're going to tag, we're going to tie in verses five and six. Okay. We're going to put these together. The king of the South shall be strong and one of his princes, and he shall be strong above him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. And in the end of years, they shall join themselves together for the king's daughter of the South shall come to the king of the North to make an agreement. In other words, there's going to be a, there's going to be a marriage take place to try to bring a, a, a treaty between these. It's not going to turn out real well, <clears throat> but she shall not retain the power of the arm. 
neither shall he stand nor his arm, but she shall be given up and they, they that brought her and he that begat her, talking about her father, and he that strengtheneth her in these times. Now let me explain. The king of the south represents the Ptolemies. Y'all remember it? The leaders of Egypt. Contrasted with the Seleucids, the leaders of Syria or the, the, the north. Uh, now, in relation to Israel, we see, you remember we said Israel stuck right in between. So anytime you see north, you see the Seleucids. Anytime you see south, you see the Ptolemies, which was Egypt and in the north Syria. Are we, are we together? Say amen. amen. Now, as they are warring and fighting and, 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 and feuding, they join forces at one point. Bernice, Bernice, the daughter of Egypt's Ptolemy II Philadelphus, married King, the Syria's king Antiochus II Theos. The latter part of the verse refers to the political advantage they hoped the alliance would produce. The only problem is Antiochus divorced his wife to marry Bernice, the daughter of the southern king, and, and the wife, a woman scorned. The one divorce killed the son and Bernice and Antiochus. Say amen. Yes. Stick with the one you got. <clears throat> Bernice gets killed. Their baby son gets killed. Antiochus is poisoned. And so she brought her own, the one that was divorced, the one that was divorced, brought her own son, Seleucus Callinicus, uh, Callinicus to the throne. So, so we find now Callinicus is the northern king we're talking about. All right. Now, verse seven. But out of a branch of her roots, talking about Bernice, out of the branch of her roots shall one stand up in his estate which shall come with an army and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north and shall deal against them and shall prevail and shall also carry captives into Egypt, their gods with their princes and with their precious vessels of silver and gold. And he shall continue more years than the king of the north. Now let's describe them from the branch of her roots. You remember Bernice came from the south, south right? She was the daughter of the king of the south. She married she married Antiochus Theos of the north, right? The divorced woman killed all three of them. So now, now the divorced woman's son is leading in the, in the north and her brother, Bernice's brother is beginning his rule in the south. Okay. If that makes sense. It's out of, out of verse seven, but out of a branch of her root shall one stand up in his estate. That's talking about Bernice's brother. All right, church, say amen. amen. His name is Ptolemy the third Eugertes, E-U-E-R-G-E-T-E-S, of Egypt. He conquered Syria, sacking their great treasure. We find that in verse number eight. So he goes into and he does all of these things. Then we find verse nine. So the king of the south shall come into his kingdom and shall return into his own land. Verse nine, Callinicus, that's of the... North attacked Egypt in 240 BC, but retreated because he was soundly beaten. All right. That's verse nine, verse 10. But his sons shall be stirred up and shall assemble a multitude of great forces 
and one shall certainly come and overflow and pass through. Then shall he return and be stirred up even to his fortress. And the king of the south shall be moved with choler, means very great indignation, anger, and shall come forth and fight with him, even with the king of the north. And he shall set forth a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into his hands. Let's describe them. Seleucius' son, Seleucius' sons kept up the war against Egypt. In other words, they were still fighting. And now keep in mind, I didn't say this earlier, but I should have. Uh, between verses two and verses 20, will encase about 200 years of fighting. Okay? 200 years of fighting. 200 years of feuding. 200 years of back and forth, back and forth action. Okay? Now, verse, verse, uh, verse 9, verse 10. All right? His sons, Seleucius' sons, we're talking about, kept up war against Egypt as described in verses 11 through 35. You're going to keep, you're going to see it over and over and over. Just, it's just, it's the same group of people, but just with a different king. Verse 11, Ptolemy the fourth, Philopater. Ptolemy the fourth, Philopater. Any, anytime you see a Ptolemy, where are they coming from? The south. Okay. All right. Uh, Ptolemy the fourth, Philopater. Devastated the Syrian army. This is where we see in verse 11. The king of the south shall be moved with choler and shall come forth and fight with him, even with the king of the north. And he shall set forth a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into his hand. He totally devastates, totally devastates the, the armies of the north, the Syrian army. Okay. Now, now verse 13, verse 13. Well, actually verse 12 goes with that. Connect 11 and 12. And when he hath taken away the multitude, his heart shall be lifted up and he shall cast down many tens of thousands, but he shall not be strengthened by it. Now, here's another section, verse 13. For the king of the north shall return and set forth a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come after certain years with a great army and with much riches. So here we have 13 years later, 13 years later, Antiochus returned with a great army and in a series of strikes against Egypt through uh, 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 Palestine or through the nation of Israel, the glorious land under his control as far south as Gaza. So he came from the north all the way through Israel and conquered all the way at least to Gaza, which is in the south of Israel. All right. And he comes, he who comes against him. Antiochus III, the great, achieved enduring dominion over Israel. So here we find where the, the, northern, the, the northern king is in control of Israel. Now, verse 14. And in those times, there shall many stand up against the king of the south. Now, we are in Israel, okay? We've got the king of the north. Uh, uh, he has come down through Antiochus the great. He has come down through the Jews like him. They're tired of being controlled by Egypt, which is in the, the south, right? So they want to revolt because they have been under Egyptian, the Ptolemy control all of this time. And they revolt against him, but it fails. Okay. It fails. Look what it says in verse 14. And in those times, there shall many stand up against the king of the south. That's Egypt, the Ptolemies. Also the robbers of thy people. And the word robbers there means violent. In other words, they were violent Jews, 
violent Jews decided to revolt against Egypt. All right. Violent Jews, robbers of thy. Remember the angel is speaking to who? Daniel. What is his nationality? He says thy people. So he's speaking to Daniel. He said, these are thy people. They shall exalt themselves to establish division. In other words, to, to conquer Egypt, but they shall, they fall. They didn't, it didn't work. They failed. The revolt failed. Are y'all, are y'all seeing how accurate this is? I mean, in other words, you can take a, a secular historical documents that describe the, the battles of the solutions, the battle of the Ptolemies, the battle of the, the generals of, of, of uh, Alexander the Great, and line it up with this chapter, and it is 100% accurate. Now, normally, normally, I wouldn't even be doing this. I would just say they fought from chapter, verse 2 to verse 20. They're feuding the whole time, the king of the south, king of the north, here we go. But I wanted you to see, we can name these people. Okay, we can take, we can take uh, uh, secular historical documents and plug the names into every one of these. That's how accurate this is. Amen. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. Now, verse 15, verse 15. <clears throat> so the king of the north shall come and cast up a mount and take the most fenced cities And the arms of the south shall not withstand, neither his chosen people, neither shall there be any strength to withstand. But he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will, and none shall stand before him, and he shall stand in the glorious land. Anytime you see that, that's talking about Israel, okay? The glorious land, the holy land, God's land. Are y'all with me? Say amen which by his hand shall be consumed. Now, who is this? He who comes against him, this is Antiochus III, the great, achieved great domination and dominion over Israel in the glorious land. Verse 17, he shall also set his face to enter with the strength. Now, now where where does Antiochus come from? The north, right? Okay. He shall set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of women, corrupting her, but he shall not stand on his side, neither be for him. Now what happens here? What happens here? Antiochus is feeling pressure from Rome. Okay? Rome wants them to get along. They want them to form a treaty and to quit fighting, right? They want them to get along with, because Rome has ties with Egypt. And, and, and so they're, they're on Egypt's side and they're trying to say, Hey, listen, we need to cool your jets, man. We need to quit all this, this feuding and fighting. And so he's under pressure from them. So this is what he does. He devises a plan. Verse number, verse number 17. Uh, let me see back up verse number 17. Uh, he shall give him the daughter of women corrupting her, but she shall not stand on his side, neither be for him. He had a plan. I'm going to send my daughter to marry. In other words, we have this again, same thing we had earlier with Bernice, but he decided I'm going to send her as a spy. 
and she will work with me and be kind of an inside deal and I'll, 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 I'll be able to conquer. The only one problem was she fell in love with her husband. And she didn't go along with her father and she stuck with her Egyptian husband. Say amen. amen. Now, Antiochus, as I said, he was feeling the pressure from Rome to make peace with Egypt, offered his daughter, Cleopatra was her name, to marry Ptolemy IV Epiphanes. The Syrian thus hoped his daughter would spy to help to destroy or weaken Egypt and bring it under his power. But instead, Cleopatra, instead of helping her father, favored her Egyptian mate. So that plan didn't work. All right, that's verse 17. Verse 18. After this, after this shall he turn his face into the isles, the islands. Now he's looking at the Mediterranean, okay? Now he's looking at the Mediterranean. And shall take many, but a prince for his own behalf shall cause the reproach offered by him to cease. Without his own reproach, he shall cause it to turn upon him. Now, what happens here? Antiochus decides, I want Greece. I want to destroy. I want to conquer Greece. Only one problem. Only one problem. There was somebody standing in his way. Look what it says. Verse 18. But a, but a prince, prince, but a Prince for his own behalf shall cause the reproach offered by him to cease without his own reproach. He shall cause it to turn upon him. Who was that prince? This was the Roman. This was the Roman Lucius Scipio, Lucius Scipio. <clears throat> he stopped him and repaid the Syrian aggression against Roman rights in the area with a resounding defeat. This happened in 191 BC. So that didn't work. That didn't work. Verse number 19. Verse number 19. Then he shall turn his face toward the fort of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. Watch this. Watch this. Antiochus returned from his defeat to his own land, but he was compelled by Rome to relinquish all his territory west of the Taurus to repay the cost of the war. He was likely killed by defenders of a Persian temple he tried to plunder at night in Elamus to get money to pay reparations back to Rome. Look what it says in verse 19. Then he shall turn his face toward the fort of his own land and he shall stumble and fall, meaning he's going to die and not be. They never found him. They never found him. The Bible is accurate. It's accurate. Okay. Now we're fixing to get to somebody that you're very, very familiar with that really the chapter is mostly about. And in his estate, in, or back up, back at verse 20. Then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes in the glory of the kingdom or, or the glorious kingdom. So where are we talking about? Israel. Israel, Israel right? The glorious land. The glorious kingdom. All right. We have a raiser of taxes, but within a few days he shall be but not with anger. In other words, not in an anger fight or in a battle. How, how does this happen? Who are we talking about? This is solutions. Where did the solutions come from? The north. Okay. Solutions. Um, the fourth 
Philopater, Seleucius IV Philopater, to render tribute since Rome was increasingly powerful. So he began to, he began to put taxes, great, great taxes on his subjects heavily, heavily to raise the tribute. Soon he died. Soon he died after being poisoned. That's a sign. Don't be raising taxes. Amen. The glorious kingdom possibly refers to Israel with his splendid temple. Now, so we have, what have we been seeing? One leader after another, one leader after another. This one raises up and dies. This one raises up and dies. This one raises up and dies. This conquers a little bit. The north comes down and conquers a little bit. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. From verses one or 2 through 20, we, we got about 200 years, 200 years of back and forth fighting. And I really tried, most of y'all know, when I try to study a chapter, I try to give you what it says and then how you can apply it to your life, right? Because that's what we're supposed to do with the Bible. We're supposed to not just hear it, but go, go do it. So we have to apply it. Well, in these verses, there's really nothing to apply except don't raise taxes, amen? Right? And uh, so why would God do that? Why would he put those verses like that, because we're, we're going to get into, we're going to get into the next the, point. Number two is when we're going to really talk about, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. This is the, probably the most well-known, uh, uh, king who has come against Israel. We're going to talk about the, the sacrificing the pig on the altar, the abomination of desolation. This is the one that Jesus even quotes in the new Testament. So he's, we're real familiar with him because we've talked about him already in the, in the study of Daniel. So why in the world would God put these verses from one through 20, you know, just giving you historical facts about who did what and how it happened. To me, I truly believe that God wants you to see he knows. He knows. If you go back, if you go back to the book of, uh, you know, the very beginning of the book of Daniel and we read about Nebuchadnezzar. How many of y'all remember when Nebuchadnezzar was arrogant? He said, look at this great kingdom that I have built for my own glory. And God smote him down, caused him to go crazy. He had to go graze like an animal and his fingernails grew out like claws and his, his hair matted down and like, kind of like feathers. And, and he, and, but God said, why? So you will know. So you will know. I set him up and I take him down. The most high, are y'all with me? God ruleth in the kingdom of men. Why did he, why did he give Daniel over and over and over? And we said in the beginning, each vision is repeated and what? Y'all remember? Enlarged. There you go. Somebody's paying attention. Amen. Enlarged. He just told you a little more and a little more and a little more because God wants you to know he knows. He knows. Not only does he know, it's all planned out. He knows how it's going to happen. He knows when it's going to happen. He knows everything that's going to happen. And and it's amazing how Satan can do all of these things. Satan can do all of these things. He can inspire Antiochus to come and kill 40,000 Jews and then sell 40,000 Jews into slavery, but still accomplish God's will. Satan, Satan come against Christ and crucified him thinking, I've got him, I've got him. We finally, and he was just accomplishing the purpose of God that was able to pay for my salvation and your salvation. 
That's God. That's God. These are the times of the Gentiles. The Gentiles are having their way. These are still God's people. The only reason we're hearing about them is because of their connection to the nation of Israel and to God's people. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Amen. And so uh, Antiochus is going to take such a big part in this chapter uh, because of what he did to God's people and who he is a forerunner of. And we know that's the Antichrist, right? And we're going to see those comparisons here in just a second. Now, now we see the vile person coming in verse 21. So verses one through 20 is basically the history of the wars between the North and the South, back and forth, back and forth. Israel caught right in the middle. Now, now we're going to look at the worst, the very, the very worst king and how he treated the nation of Israel. This, this one is Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay. Verse number 21, verse 21. And if you want to, I tell you what, let's do this. Let's do this just for the sake of time, just for the sake of time, man, it's going by quick. Uh, let me give you the points. Let me give you the points to put down and then we'll continue our, we'll continue our uh, verse by verse going down through there. Okay. So write this down. There are several things we're going to learn about Antiochus Epiphanes. First, his cunning, his cunning. He was slick. He was very, very deceitful. He was very wise, wickedly, if you will. Very deceitful. And we'll, we'll see that in verses 21 and, and verses 23. All right. Then we're going to see his cruelty, his cruelty. Write that down. We'll see that in verses 28 through 30. He had no problem killing at, 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 at will. Men, women, elderly, babies, it didn't matter to him. Very, very cruel. And then we see his corruption. Write that down. Write that down. <clears throat> All right, now let's, let's continue with our verses. <clears throat> this vile person. In his estate, in his estate shall stand up a vile person. Who is this? Antiochus Epiphany. Say that with me. Antiochus. <laughs> to whom, to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom. But he shall come in peaceably. He shall come in peaceably. And obtain the kingdom by, you see the, you see the cunning, you see, that's exactly the way the antichrist is going to do it. Exactly. I mean, to the T, um, he, he is the most cruel king of the North. He was Seleucid, this Syrian persecutor of Israel. He came to throne. Now watch how he comes to the throne. He came to the throne when his brother Seleucus was murdered. And while a son of the dead king, in other words, Seleucus' son, his name was Demetrius the first Soter, S-O-T-E-R. Demetrius the first Soter was held hostage in Rome. So in that vacuum of leadership, Antiochus comes forward and seizes power in Syria. Through deception, 
through flatteries peaceably. Okay? In other words, he talked his way into it. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. You say, what does that remind you of? It reminds you of the white horse rider after the first seal is broken. Right? The, the white horse rider. Why is, it, why, is that, why is that significant? We say, well, there's two white horse riders. It is. There's one in chapter 6 and there's one in chapter 19. The one in chapter 6, the Bible says he's riding a white horse. And what is in his hand? Does anybody remember? A bow. A bow. But no arrows. But no arrows, just a bow. You can't shoot nothing with just a bow. That represents it's going to be a, a bloodless a bloodless coup, if you will. It's going to be with politics. It's going to be with deception and cunning. All right? He's going to come, he's going to come with deception to rule. When Jesus comes, the Bible says he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. He's coming to mean business. Say amen. But see, we have Antiochus Epiphanes. He's, he's the, he is the forerunner. He is the description. And, and let me say this too. From verses 21 through verses 35, this is what we're going to see. Everybody look at me a minute. How many, of y'all, how many of y'all have seen those memes? I guess is what you call it. Memes with the, it's got like four pictures. And it's got a picture of one person in this corner. And then a picture in this corner. And it's like, as you go from the different pictures, this one here kind of transforms into this one. Y'all know what I'm talking about? In other words, this, it shows a different picture of the person. And, and, and every time it goes to a different picture, it, this one is fading into this one. So that when you go from here to here, this person totally transforms into this person. This is what you see in verses 21 through 35. We see a description we see a description of Antiochus Epiphanes, and as we continue to, 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 to study him and his, his actions and his characteristics, by the time we get to verse 36, it is a complete transition into the Antichrist. And so as we read from verses 36 to verses 45, it's all about the Antichrist. So where we are here from verses 21 to 35 it is a, a slow fade, if you will, a slow fade going from Antiochus down to describe the Antichrist. And from verses 36 through verses 45 is all about the Antichrist. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. All right. All right. Good, good, good. Uh, where do we stop? What verse? <clears throat> 22? 22. There we go. Verse 22. <clears throat> and with the arms of a flood... Shall they be overflown from before him and shall be broken? Yea, also the prince of the covenant. Now, here's the thing. When he comes through verses 22, Egypt's armies were swept away by Antiochus's invading forces, kind of like a flood. Israel's prince of the covenant is Onias the third, O-N-I-A-S the third. So if you want to write that down in your notes, Verse number 22, the prince of the covenant is Israel's Onias III. He was a high priest. He was a high priest in Israel. And so what Antiochus did was install his own priest, which was completely, wasn't even, anyway, anyway. All right, let's keep going. He was murdered, Onias III was murdered by his own defecting brother, Menelaus, at the request of Antiochus. How wicked is that? Verse 23, and after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully. 
That's what do we see? That's that cunning, that cunning deceit. For he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. In other words, he didn't have a, he didn't have a large army at the time of his power. When he came into power, it was all by deceit. It was all by trickery. Just like who? The Antichrist. The Antichrist. This league, this league. In an Egyptian struggle for the throne, Antiochus entered an alliance with Ptolemy the, the sixth. Philopater. Over his rival, Ptolemy the seventh. All right. Now he's distinct. He's distinct from verses number seven, a different one. By this union, Antiochus deceitfully plotted to gain great power in Egypt with a very small force. He conquered Memphis and the rest of Egypt all the way up to Alexandria. Okay. With a very, very small force. Verse 24. He shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province. And he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey. In other words, he was able to conquer in Egypt what none of the rest of his fathers were able to do. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil the riches. Yea, he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. Even for a time. So he comes into under the skies of friendship. He plundered the richest Egyptian places he could strike. To gain support, he gave lavish gifts, possibly battle spoils, and he devised plans to conquer all of Egypt. All of Egypt. All right? And we're going to see, we're going to see the Antichrist is going to do the same. Okay? Now, verses number 25. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand for they shall forecast devices against him. Another battle armament. All right. Now Antiochus attacked Philopater who had become an enemy and the latter fell. The king of the south fell due to treachery by trusted supporters and became Antiochus's captives. Verse 26 talks about those supporters. Yea, they that feed of the portion of his meat. In other words, the king of the south's own counselors, his own uh, people who were supposed to instruct him and to help him, they basically betrayed him and told him to do something that was not wise to do. And he ended up becoming a captive to Antiochus. Okay. Verse 26. Yea, that feed, they that feed of the portion of his meat shall destroy him and his army shall overflow and many shall fall down slain. Verse 27. And both of these kings hearts shall be, shall be to do mischief and they shall speak lies at one table, but it shall not prosper for yet the end shall be at the time appointed. Now, what are we talking about? Antiochus, Antiochus. He feigned to help to reinstate Ptolemy Philometer to Egypt's throne, which was currently occupied by Ptolemy Eugertes. Both kings lied at the conference and Antiochus set Philometer up as a king at Memphis, whereas Eugertes reigned at Alexandria. But the problem was the two Egyptians soon agreed on a joint rule, which frustrated Antiochus. So he gets pushed out of the deal. All right. That's what verse 27, these Kings, the two 
the, t- the two Ptolemies in Egypt. Now they're co-reigning, okay? Verse 28, verse 28. Then shall he return into his land with great riches, and his heart shall be against the holy covenant. I want you to underline that. His heart shall be against the holy covenant. So what's happening? Can we, can we put, the, can we put the, uh, the map back up? All right, here's Egypt. Here's Egypt, okay? He's spoiled Egypt. He's taken their riches. He's, he's gone and plundered everything he could plunder. Now he's got great spoil, great riches, great everything. And, and the, you know, they kind of tricked him. So now, now we're, we're joining up and you're out the picture now. So he's coming back home. He's coming back to go here. Where does he got to go through to get here? Israel. Now he ain't real happy. Okay. He's been deceived in Egypt and now he's coming back through. He's coming back through Israel. Look what it says. Then shall he return. What's he doing? He's coming up through here, going home, right? Then he shall return into his land with great riches and his, what has he done? He spoiled Egypt, right? And his heart shall be against the Holy Covenant. That is talking about Judaism, Anytime you see the Holy Covenant, it's talking about the covenant that the nation of Israel has with God. So he's speaking against the covenant or the religious uh, uh, fervor of the nation of Israel. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. And he shall do exploits and return to his own land. Verse 29. At the time appointed, he shall return and come toward the south, but it shall not be as the former or as the latter. But now before we get to verse 29... Let's, let's explain verse 28. In his route north, as we showed on the, on the map, in his route north to Israel, or through Israel to Syria, he met a revolt. He met a revolt. This is, this is where Israel was trying to revolt against. They wanted to be independent. They wanted to be free. So he decided to deal with them. He struck Jerusalem's temple, profaned the sacrificial system, and we're going to describe that in more detail here in just a minute. He massacred 80,000 men, 80,000 men. What are we talking about? Cruelty. You remember the point you wrote down a while ago? Cruelty. 80,000 men took 40,000 prisoners and sold 40,000 as slaves and squelched the Jewish bid to depose his own designated priest, Menelaus. Now, what was the point? Israel lived peacefully with those who conquered them as long as they left their religion alone. Think about that. They were willing to pay taxes. They were willing to, to, to go along uh, with whoever was in, in charge at the time, the conquerors, as long as they left their, their religion, their temple, their cultural way of life, in, in the Antiochus that was before Epiphanes, he, he liked Israel and he, he, matter of fact, he lessened some taxes on them. So, you know, they liked him and he allowed them to continue with Judaism, continue to practice their religion, continue to practice their culture. Well, Antiochus Epiphanes was wicked, 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 wicked. He made them quit. He said, you cannot circumcise your sons. You cannot observe the Sabbath. He tried his best to Hellenize. What does that mean? Make Greeks out of them. All right. He wanted to, he wanted to make Greeks out of them. He made them, uh, uh, or tried to force them to worship Greek gods, to become Greek, everything in the culture. 
even brought Greek gods into the temple. Well, that's all it took. That's all it took. And Menelaus here was trying, he was the one that Antiochus had left behind to try to Hellenize the Jewish people. He wanted to get rid of Judaism and bring in all, does everybody know what I talk about when I say Hellenize? In other words, make Greeks out of them to bring in the Greek culture and the Greek everything, okay? They totally revolted against that, totally revolted against, because they had killed the the rightful high priest, Onias, which I gave you a while ago, and they revolted against this guy. Well, when Antiochus is coming back through, he squelched that. He come in and killed everything we just said and, and desecrated the temple, all right? Now, let's keep reading. Verse 29, that was, in, that was in verse 28. It says, his heart shall be against the holy covenant. In other words, he didn't just like Jews. He didn't like their culture. He didn't like their religion. He didn't like their beliefs. All right, does that make sense? Amen. amen. Verse 29, so he comes back. I'm, I'm coming back to Egypt. He, he just not gonna, he's just not, not going to let it lie. So he's going to come back south. At the time appointed, he shall return. And come toward the the south, which is Egypt, the Ptolemies, right? But it shall not be as the former or as the latter. Because there's going to be a problem. And we talked about this the last time we were in this particular area. Rome got there. You remember? They're in cahoots with Rome now. It says, for the ships of Chittim. The ships of Chittim, which means Rome. It's talking about Rome. Shall come against him. And therefore he shall be grieved. Watch what happens. He comes back and tries to conquer Egypt again. But what he found was a bunch of representatives from Rome. And they said, you got to get out of here. You go. Well, now he's really mad. Now he's embarrassed. He's been humiliated. All right. Now, how many of y'all know when people get embarrassed, humiliated, and angered, they take it out on people weaker than them. So guess what? Here's, here's the map. Map, map, my brother. Okay. He's coming back again. Where does he got to go through? Now he's really angry. Now he's humiliated. Now he's been embarrassed. He was defeated. or Actually, there wasn't even a fight. There was just a bigger bully on the block, which was Rome. And he didn't want to fight with Rome. So he's coming back through. His plans were changed. But watch what happens. He was grieved. Y'all see that? Now I want y'all to underline this because that's what I did in my Bible. I underlined and having indignation against what? The Holy Covenant. We know what that is. We know what that is. So he's, he is totally, totally in a rage by now. Having indignation against the Holy Covenant, so shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake thy Holy Covenant. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. All of the Jews were not against him. There were some apostates. In other words, there were secular Jews who didn't care about the temple who didn't care about the law, who didn't care about God's word, who didn't care about the Jewish religion and Judaism. All they cared about was. And, 
And Antiochus would reward them greatly if they would turn against the rest of them. So even in this day, there's a group of people who are apostates, who are traitors, if you will, who are rebellious against God's word and God's law and God's people. And Antiochus used that against them. Do y'all see that? Say amen. amen. That's at the end. That's at the end of verse 30. He shall even return and have intelligence with them for that forsake the whole, that them there, that them is talking about backslidden or, or apostate Jews who go against the covenant. In other words, they become Hellenized. They, they just soon be Greeks as anything. They'll worship Zeus. They'll worship any false God. If that makes sense. Amen. Amen. Now watch what he does. And he's so enraged against, and by the way, by the way, this is not because he, he's just not kosher. This is the same thing that you see. This is the same thing that you see with the atheistic movement in our country. Now watch. Atheists think that Jesus is a fairy tale. That's what they say. They think, they th- or they say... That God is a fairy tale. He's the figment of the imagination of weak-minded people. But I got a problem with that. I got a problem with that. If that's so, why are atheists not in a rage against Tinkerbell? Why are they not having, listen, conferences against Peter Pan? Against Cinderella. I, I, don't, I, don't see him, I don't see him in a rage trying to get Cinderella off the TV and trying. Why? Because he's real. God is real. And if he's real, then they are wrong. You just think about that a minute. I don't have time to go into more of that. We've got four minutes. We've got to hurry. Watch this. What verse we stop at? Okay, okay. 31. <clears throat> An arm shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength. That means the temple. They shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that make it desolate. What did he do? He went in and made them stop offering their sacrifices. He stopped the high priest from offering the sacrifices unto God and went in there and sacrificed a pig. Put a sow on the altar and sacrificed, desecrated the temple. Historians say they took broth from from the hog and poured it all over the sanctuary, just just desecrating it. Are y'all with me? This is where, and by the way, this caused a revolt. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Verse 32. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. In other words, those are those apostate Jews again. Remember? He does it by flatteries. He talks to them and he says, hey, I'll give you this and I'll reward you and I'll give you riches. But, hallelujah. 
The people that do know their God shall be what? And do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame and by captivity and by spoil many days. Now these are the Hasidians. Hasidians. H-A-S-I-D-E-A-N-S. Hasidians. There was a group of Jews who decided we're not taking this no more. Listen, we're going to stand up for God. We're going to get, we're going to get these idols out of our country. And one particular one, Judas Maccabeus, Judas Maccabeus stood up and he was called the hammer and he fought against the solutions, fought against them. And finally won, finally won and went in and sanctified the temple. They went in and cleansed the temple, sanctified the temple and lit the menorah. This was the miracle. This was the miracle. We're out of time. <clears throat> but I got to tell you this. We'll finish up the rest later. But they only had enough oil for it to last, I think if I remember right, one night. And the oil lasted for like six nights that they put in the menorah. Six or seven nights. And you say, what is that? Now they celebrate it. Now they celebrate this, this great victory in this time where they were able to sanctify and cleanse the temple from the wickedness of Antiochus Epiphanes. And it's called the Feast of Lights. Or you might be more familiar with Hanukkah. Hanukkah. That's where that comes from. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. We're going to have to stop there. We're going to have to stop there because we're, we're out of time. 